Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com. This is Elena DelVal, and my guest is Fernando Espuelas, founder and CEO of VOI. Today we will discuss how the Internet will liberate Latinos and VOI. Fernando previously co-founded and was chairman and CEO of Star Media Network, a multi-platform media company for Spanish and Portuguese-speaking audiences worldwide. At Star Media, he built one of the first online networks to transcend national barriers, becoming one of the most recognized pan-Latin new media brands in Latin America and eventually serving 25 million people. After starting the business with his credit card, Fernando went on to raise $500 million for the company in a combination of private and public offerings, including raising one of the first series of venture funding and one of the first IPOs for a Latin American Internet company. Star Media's market capitalization reached $3.8 billion. His leadership has earned him recognition. Time Magazine, for example, honored him as one of the leaders of the millennium, and he was recognized as a 2000 all-star business leader by Crane's New York Business Magazine. The World Economic Forum includes him among its elite, Global Leaders of Tomorrow, and he was also a recipient of Latin Trade Magazine's prestigious Bravo Award. Prior to founding Star Media Network, he was the Managing Director of Marketing Communications for AT&T Latin America and the Caribbean, where he was responsible for conceiving and launching AT&T's first online service in Latin America. Prior to AT&T, Fernando held various senior positions at, Go at Ogilvy and Mather in the United States and Latin America. He's the author of the book Life in Action, published in 2004. My goodness, Fernando, welcome. Oh, thank you, Elena. It's a pleasure to be with you. Let's talk a little bit, for starters, about VOI. What is VOI? There seem to be so many different components to VOI. Well, um, VOI is actually a, a brand uh, that doesn't describe any product or service. It describes a mindset of optimism and self-empowerment. And we believe these are the values that uh, we Latinos hold uh, and connect with across country of origin, across generations, and also that connects us back into the mainstream of the United States, that idea of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So that uh, what Boy seeks to be um, over time is an icon for uh, the best aspirations that we have uh, in this society. Um, as you'll know, it's Boy, I go, um, so each person puts in there uh, what, it, what drives them. Um, and we seek to, to make that experience, the VOI experience, available across uh, different media. Uh, we think that in 2006, uh, consumers, and in particular Latino consumers, who are really the most sophisticated, most advanced users of next-generation technologies, um, next-generation applications of the Internet, uh, mobile communications, etc., um, that um, this is a moment uh, when um, uh, this consumer is seeking media that uh, is portable, that is available on the computer, on the television, on a phone, on any device uh, that might be available. And so VOI has created an experience that is portable, an experience that is not tied to any one platform, and that uh, connects, we believe, to what Latinos are looking for in this country. 
more broadly uh, to Latinos across the world and people who are seeking to connect with Latin culture. So we're organized around a, an online media hub. Um, this hub is um, uh, at, available at voidplaza.com, uh, and it's a, um, uh, a portal uh, to um, a whole set of Latin cultural experiences, uh, everything from music uh, to video, um, community features, in short, a whole world of relevant content, uh, but also uh, social interaction, sharing, connecting, and communicating. And um, uh, at the same time, Voy is a bit available on other kinds of experiences as well. Um, we're partners with Vivendi Entertainment in the uh, Voy Home Entertainment line of DVDs. Um, our first movie is coming out now called Chivas USA, which is about the uh, uh, soccer team here in L.A. Uh, that from Mexico. In uh, January, we have uh, our first feature film coming out called Spin, which is a reggaeton movie, very fun, very uh, exciting and, and uh, uh, entertaining. Um, and we have other uh, ventures that are rolling out over time. For example, next month, our radio stations will be available to subscribers of uh, Verizon and Singular. Uh, we're rolling out other uh, mobile platforms. In short, uh, the VOI experience will mirror where consumers are going, uh, uh, where consumers want to consume media, which is increasingly in a non-linear environment, increasingly across platforms and on demand, uh, so that um, we think that this consumer is, in fact, in the vanguard of uh, the fragmentation of media, the devolution uh, to multiple platforms, and that, in fact, Latinos uh, in the United States in particular are the leading edge uh, of this new media uh, world. And Boy seeks to be that company that connects with that generation and uh, serves that generation in every way possible. Fernando, when you say Latinos, is Voy reaching out in English or in Spanish or in both? Yeah, um, we, you know, we in fact uh, even have content in Portuguese because, um, you know, Latinos are of Brazilian descent as well, and certainly there are 183 Latinos living in Brazil at this very moment. Um, so, you know, our whole premise of empowerment and optimism, uh, that's the, the ethos of, of the VOI experience, also extends to language as well. Um, we believe that uh, next-generation Latinos um, uh, are predominantly English-dominant. I mean, when you look at the data uh, of the Hispanic, quote-unquote, Hispanic market here in the United States, what you see is that the market over the last 10 or 15 years has bifurcated from what was the historical market of predominantly uh, immigrants from Latin America living in the U.S., like myself, uh, to now a market predominantly of uh, Americans who happen to be Latino. For example, my two sons born in the U.S. In fact, 63% of Latinos in the U.S. were born here. Um, and more importantly, the Pew Center is projecting that over the next 20 years, roughly 75% of the growth among Latino um, citizens of this country uh, uh, will come from native birth as opposed to immigration. And so one of the uh, uh, natural outcomes of that shift, of that bifurcation of the market, is that there's overwhelming English language preference amongst this generation of Latinos, even as we maintain a very high degree of identification with Latin culture. 
and a, and a desire to pass that identification across generations. So for us, um, we want to be available in the language that uh, consumers choose, and so uh, most of our products are at the very least bilingual. Uh, in some cases, uh, for example, uh, this movie Chivas USA that I mentioned earlier, um, it's, it's truly bilingual. When it's the when the, uh, there are scenes in English, it's uh, subtitled in Spanish, and when there are scenes in Spanish, they're subtitled in English. So you can really cross over and talk to a wide variety of people. Uh, last year, we uh, came out with our first film, Favela Rising. Uh, Favela Rising is this uh, unbelievably powerful uh, documentary that has won a whole set of international awards, uh, over 25 major awards. Uh, shortlisted for an Oscar nomination, uh, premiered in theaters and, and then Cinemax. And, um, it's the story of one uh, man's incredible struggle against violence and racism in Brazil in the slums of Rio de Janeiro, where he, instead of turning to, to violence, to fight violence, turns to art and music and dance and begins a movement that has a very power, powerful effect and a ripple effect across the slums of Rio de Janeiro. And so it's a film that really celebrates um, uh, the struggle of man and the success of man in spite of enormous odds. You know, that is the basic concept of, of Voy, um, the Voy brand. Now, this was a film that was in Portuguese, subtitled in English, uh, because it took place in Brazil, of course. So we'll look at language really as a, um, you know, it's not something that we're obsessing about. Uh, we will be present in the language that our consumers want us in, and that might be at different times any one of the three uh, major Latin languages. Latin, in, uh, for Latino, I say, because of course English is not a Latin language. <laughs> the discussion lately, uh, certainly what I've been hearing a lot about at different parts of the country, seems to revolve around Latino identity. What does it mean to be Latino? Who is Latino? A, a lot of the things that you've mentioned yeah. a, a moment ago. Where, where is this going, and how does this, for example, how does a platform like Voy look to the future when looking at Latino identity? I hear a lot of people, for example, from the mainstream market saying, well, if Latinos are English dominant, or if a significant percentage of Latinos are English dominant, why should we dedicate efforts different from our mainstream market efforts right. to reach out to them? Right. Then why aren't we reaching them automatically with everything else that we're doing? Right. Well, I mean, I, I think that's the crux of the issue, and um, one of the, uh, I think, clear uh, outcomes of all the research that has been uh, done over the last few years on this particular issue uh, seems to uh, point the way to an answer to that question, which is that the research shows that uh, there's been a delinking uh, in Latino identity from the Spanish language, and that even those Latinos who don't speak uh, Spanish continue to maintain that high degree of cultural identification and connection to, and therefore, uh, I think it's a fairly uh, accepted marketing uh, orthodoxy at this point that if you speak to specific groups of consumers identifying them in ways that they identify themselves, in this case being Latinos, that you will have a significant higher level of, um, uh, of success. Um, I think that that argument is, is, 
fundamentally the argument that we're already, we're already reaching them with mainstream media uh, is somewhat specious because what that says is that you, you, will, uh, you essentially will forego uh, the added power of speaking to a consumer uh, in the language, and I don't mean Spanish, but in the uh, language and the, in the iconography that will motivate that consumer. There is a, um, uh, you know, a trend here which is very different from what's happened, uh, you know, even just 30 years ago when my mom and I immigrated to the U.S., which is I had to, uh, I was very conscious that my success in this little town in Connecticut where I grew up was really connected to my ability to, to be as uh, waspy as anybody else. <laughs> Because being a uh, Latino, being myself, would uh, not be a success. Uh, it would be rejected. In 2006, uh, although I'm sure that kind of in, uh, negative uh, environment still exists somewhere in this country, no doubt, I think we're in a completely different stage where Latin culture is uh, not only mainstream itself, um, it is now very hip, is very cool, and the younger generation of Latinos are not choosing between being quote-unquote American or quote-unquote Latino. There is absolutely no contradiction be the, between those two things. And in fact, uh, the identification and celebration of Latino culture, regardless of, uh, of their ability to speak Spanish, uh, is very much there. What's not there is uh, watching uh, Spanish language media, because that's just not the, la I mean, that's the whole point of why Roy is around, which is uh, people are thirsty for this culture, uh, but they're not going to, the vehicles to reach it are not going to be the vehicles that were effective for my mom. Um, the aesthetics of, of Spanish language media, by and large, are the aesthetics of Latin America, uh, where most of the programming comes from, and the aesthetics of a different generation of, of people, a generation that lived in a much more isolated Latin um, you know, ghettoized, in, in which might be literally ghettos or it might be mental ghettos, but ghettoized, we're here and, you know, the, the gringos are there and we're not the same thing. And then when you go to, you know, my generation certainly, uh, but, you know, certainly my son's generation as well, there is no wall between Latin culture and the mainstream. It all flows into each other. Uh, and celebrating your identity uh, and having, by the way, I mean, you know, one of the truisms of why... Latin, Latin culture has mainstream is, of course, the sheer number of Latinos in the U.S., but also it's the proximity. You know, the fact is we are part of the American continent, which includes, um, you know, 450 million other people who are uh, either primarily Spanish or Portuguese speakers. So uh, we will have always the refreshment of Latin culture, not as an artifice that you might feel you know, it's coming from Eastern Europe, your grandparents immigrated, you know, from someplace, but rather something that's much more immediate is right here. And also, you know, again, the culture has mainstreamed. So here is a reinforcement of, uh, of Latin culture that uh, continues to move forward. Uh, the other analog, of course, would be uh, African-American culture, which continues to evolve, continues to be both at once integrated into the mainstream, but also on the vanguard. Uh, when you look at the impact that African Americans have had on American culture over the last, you know, well, obviously for the whole history of the country, but say over the last hundred years, and just look at maybe one area, maybe music, and you know, you know, go from uh, uh, jazz to 
to rock and roll to hip hop and, and so forth, and just in that one cultural genre, this enormous impact. And I think what we're seeing today is that with the Latino impact uh, and the impact of Latin culture in particular, it's probably somewhere uh, uh, on, a, on a development basis similar to the impact of African-American culture on music say, at the beginning of the jazz era, where it was you know, about to break through to mainstream itself amongst white Americans, and, and eventually, of course, you know, it becomes completely mainstream. That's what's happening with Latin culture today. And one of the main reasons is that we're the culture carriers. Uh, we're the ones that are bringing this into our relationships. You know, some of us still live in very uh, ghettoized environments, but uh, many uh, Latinos across this country uh, are living in an integrated fashion, still celebrating who they are as Latinos, but uh, at the same time connecting that culture with other people. You know, for me as a marketer, um, uh, I for many years, you know, I, I watched commercials because that was part of my business, and. And I still watch them uh, interested as, as to what they say about uh, our country because commercials are always, in a way, reflective of current society. And so you see that in commercials across time where uh, social mores and expectations are, are evolved through this uh, media. And, um, you know, the number of commercials for uh, products, uh, very mundane products, uh, soap and toilet paper and toothpaste, that use Latin music in the background as incidental music to set a mood. Yet, when you look at the actors, the actors are not Latino, so there's no overt uh, effort to reach Latinos. It's not a quote-unquote Latino commercial. Rather, it is a commercial that is incorporating mainstream cultural cues uh, in order to communicate some feeling that will make you feel good about that uh, toothpaste or whatever. Um, uh, you know, that's... That's the way commercials are constructed, um, uh, and, and so it's interesting that we're now seeing those uh, culture, Latin cultural cues being used as part of the mainstream. Uh, certainly 30 years ago, uh, uh, when I was a little kid in, in uh, Connecticut, you would never, ever, ever see, uh, because I looked, uh, I looked, I was so desperate to connect to Latin culture in some fashion <laughs> that anything you know, called my name, uh, you know, it called my attention, rather, um, you know, when I would, I would see anything remotely Latin anywhere, I would just be so amazed. Uh, and there was nothing like that back then. Right now, it is completely, absolutely mainstream. So I think all of these factors come together to really point, the, uh, you know, start to, to draw a, a picture here. The, the Latino marketplace, it is, is uh, of course, vibrant. It's growing very quickly. Um, it has transformed itself, um, yet it is possibly the most dynamic sector of the American economy. And it's that dynamic for a few reasons. First of all, because of sheer numbers. Um, uh, we are uh, about a quarter uh, to 30% of all American teenagers at this point. So this is the future of the American economy one way or another. Um, this is where the growth is going to come from and, and reaching this consumer in a in a logical way is, is critical. Uh, secondly, this is the most um, uh, sophisticated user of technology of any segment in the American economy. When you look at the data, the data uh, for different kinds of uh, uh, utilization of technology, whether it's using the internet, downloading music, uh, sending email, uh, video games, etc., you know, a long list of, of uh, uh, of data that show that Latinos are really on the forefront of technology and the forefront of new platforms. 
this is a critical, critical consumer. And lastly, uh, there's a very pragmatic um, reason why this is the, the, the engine of the American economy. Um, you know, the median age of Latinos in general is roughly 27. The median age for African Americans is 31, Asian Americans is 34, and non-Hispanic whites is 39. On a functional basis, that data is what it tells you is that the growth of almost any product in the American economy, whether it's chewing gum or a house or uh, anything in the middle, comes through a very adequate, uh, uh, very excellently uh, uh, executed strategy to reach this particular consumer. So going back to your question, um, the supposition uh, that uh, this consumer is being reached is, is a big bet to make when, in fact, what you're seeing over and over again, again in the research, is a high degree of dissatisfaction among this very consumer with existing media choices. A sense that current media across its variety does not speak to our needs, that it does not understand us. And then when they do speak to us, they pander to us. Um, you know, they, they, they play to cliches. Um, even, you know, a, a really high-profile uh, role like Eva Longoria's role on Desperate Housewives, which is great. There's a Latina, and, you know, good for her, and she's, a, she's wonderful in it. But, nevertheless, when you look at what the character is made of, you know, it does play to this, uh, you know, this you know, telenovela cliche of the Latina woman either being a nun or, or a whore, you know, and, and these kinds of, of iconography... Uh, which is repeated in different uh, iterations across media, um, are things that we react to in a very negative way. And uh, things that, interestingly enough, traditional media seems to have very little sensitivity to, li very little knowledge of how to address uh, this audience's needs. So a company like Voy, uh, which uh, seeks to be at the forefront of how this generation connects with media, uh, not just because of the relevancy of our content, which is very relevant, uh, but also through the, um, the utilization of multi-platform uh, tool sets that allow people to share and communicate with each other, we think we have uh, uh, the opportunity to really um, connect with what this consumer is asking for and deliver it in the best possible way. Fernando, would you expand a little bit more? I think you made a number of really interesting points. We always hear, of course, about mainstream, and specifically print and broadcast media as the end-all and be-all with alternative mediums such as the Internet and other portable technology as sort of the poor cousins, the, the, um, the orphan annies in a way, and yet... There are a lot of people out there that firmly believe this is the wave of the future. Would you share some more insights on broadcast print media sure. and their importance in relationship to Latinos and then, of course, what the role is of the Internet vis-a-vis -vis those same Latinos? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think these are uh, some fundamental issues about uh, the future of the country. Um, I believe that media is not just simply a reflection of society, but it is one of the primary mechanisms by which society understands itself and creates its self-image and potentially corrects itself or not. And so when you look at the uh, uh, 
continued and accelerating evolution of media in the United States in particular, but really across the world, what you see is that there are certain macro trends that have their own logic and, and dynamics, which are really un, unstoppable at this point. Um, and some of these trends are primarily uh, the, trans, um, the transformation of media from analog distribution models to digital distribution models. So in the music industry, from uh, hard CDs that you buy in a store wrapped by plastic to downloading legally uh, music from Boy, for example, or, or any other uh, site that sells music. That is a huge shift in that model of how music was created, sold, marketed, etc. Um, uh, that drives, um, you know, a whole set of, of changes just in that environment. Uh, when you look at the internet in particular, you know, uh, the internet was seen for a while as a media um, that, it, you know, in a way, it was uh, competitive with television, or it was competitive with uh, magazines, and you know, people were saying, "What's going to happen to?" newspapers and all that. But in reality, the Internet is not a media per se. Um, it is uh, a hyper-efficient distribution system. And it's a distribution system that increasingly, because of the adoption of broadband, which, by the way, Latinos um, have taken on, uh, adopted broadband at a higher rate than the mainstream market. So we're, once again, we're on the very leading edge of what's happening in media. Nevertheless, what broadband specifically means to all consumers is that the cost of distributing this content has now come down uh, significantly, um, in incredibly. And I'll give you an example from Boy. Um, we have 31 uh, radio stations, web radio stations, that we program. And they're everything from you know, the best salsa to the best tango and everything in between. Uh, we also have several thousand thousands of radio stations that have been created by our users who then uh, share it with their friends, who post it on their websites, who do a whole bunch of things with, with these radio stations. So um, we have created this platform. We have built an audience that uh, participates in the creation of these platforms with us. And, um, you know, we have spent uh, a few million dollars um, to, to get this going and, and to get to this point. Uh, not a small amount of money, uh, but a few million dollars. Compare that to the cost of a single radio station uh, in any major market of the United States. Um, you know, a radio station will run tens of millions of dollars, and in some cases, you know, it could even be a hundred million dollars or more for one of the major, major markets. And what you buy, essentially, is an infrastructure to broadcast in that city end of story period, your ability to tap into the advertising revenue of the radio market in that uh, city period. Um, that's it. So compare the two. Uh, we have 31 radio stations plus thousands of user-generated stations. Our audience has grown from 3,000 unique users in November of 2005 to approximately 3 million unique users uh, in November of, uh, of this year. That's what we're expecting. Uh, so uh, we have a significant audience. We've spent a fraction uh, of the cost of what a quote-unquote radio company would have to spend. And we have global reach. Our radio station doesn't just play in Peoria. Our radio station plays all over the world. In fact, 
we track our audience very closely, we have an audience from uh, 106 countries at last count. Uh, of course, mostly concentrated in the United States and Mexico, Brazil, Latin America, but uh, from literally all over the world, people are listening to, ra uh, to our radio stations. So what we're talking about here is a massive shift um, in how consumers are relating to media. The idea that you could actually, if you love music that much, have access to so much music in a radio format, but uh, now in an enhanced experience because you can uh, choose the song, you can uh, send the song to your friend, you can vote on it, you can create a station with that song. In short, you have now a relationship to that music which no radio station on the planet can ever uh, connect with. What you're talking about now is a, um, a new expectation on the part of the consumer, uh, an expectation, in fact, that media will no longer be pushed at them, like the traditional model. Here's the television show at 8 o'clock at night. You must come to your home at 8 o'clock at night to watch the television show. To now a pull model where that same television show is now available to me on my iPod. It's available to me uh, on my computer or on my mobile television uh, of, uh, on my cell phone or on whatever other platform uh, will be invented or has been invented and will become popular over time. So um, when people look and say, well, what's important, uh, television, traditional newspapers, you know, I say, here's a, a, a reality. There are certain media that have matured because their user base um, has matured with it and is not growing uh, because they're, uh, they're competitive, better distribution systems. So, for example, uh, the newspaper uh, has, is a mature industry. Yesterday it was reported the steepest drop in circulation numbers um, ever, 2.8% uh, drop, uh, drop in circulation from a year ago. Um, so these are, are, are not positive numbers. At the same time, what they don't report, of course, because it's a different business model, is the uh, more than disproportionate growth in utilization of those very newspaper websites. So, for example, the New York Times, their online audience is multiples of their subscriber base. Uh, now, they can't monetize it in the same way. Nevertheless, they have built a sizable online audience that will be increasingly valuable because that audience is inherently valuable. Um, so there's transformations of those kinds also uh, occurring. Um, in the end, uh, what I think is the total game changer is broadband. Um, we think of broadband as being a connector to get our email fast, to watch some videos and, and, and listen to music, but it's really much more than that. It's literally a, a pipe into the home that through what will be over the next year and over the next few years, increasingly cheaper, easier to use technology, will essentially allow you to redirect content anywhere in your home. So that this is not the Jetsons, it's really very simple technology, it's just that many companies went out with it and so there isn't a, a standard and it's a little bit messy, like any beginnings, <laughs> kind of a messy. But we're getting to the point where there are several credible companies that are creating essentially a one-stop uh, uh, kind of machine that plugs into your broadband connection. And from that machine, which could be a PC, it will probably be a PC, but it will be some uh, piece of mechanics with software that allow you to manipulate the content. When it comes into your home through the broadband pipe, you want to see it in your bedroom, you'll send it to your bedroom, you want to send it um, uh, to your family room or whatever you want to do, you will have that, that capability. So suddenly, 
so for a company like Boy in particular, uh, by being platform agnostic, by saying we will be available in, in the platform of the consumer's choice, um, we believe we're once again molding ourselves to this new consumer reality and being in a, in a position specifically in the Latin space, which is fairly empty, is an empty competitive landscape, to occupy uh, a valued uh, place for consumers and, and to learn from them um, and to, to be there to service their needs in a, in a very fundamental way. If I understand correctly from all your insights, this is liberating to the Latino consumer, particularly those who are connected, because, of course, of all of the possibilities that it opens and because it is specifically focused on the interests of that particular segment of the market or markets. You also talked about the African-American market and their influence. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit, if you would, about the model itself, because I, for one, have seen a lot of resistance from the mainstream groups and from the people who are familiar and sometimes who are driving these models to the new technologies. They are not connected necessarily or not much beyond the basic email format. And they may or may not be familiar with other forms of technology and platforms, platform agnostic as you call it. And they're very resistant to shifting for example, their advertising and their marketing dollars to the new platforms. So this is very liberating to the audience, but how do we ensure the long-term sustainability of this model when there is so much resistance from those in the driver's seat to the push versus pull model in spite of all of the advantages that the new technologies bring with them? Well, I think that's, a, that's an excellent question. Um, I, I think the, the, uh, my uh, simple answer would be that it's not dependent on the incumbent power centers. Not to get wonky as a history major. <laughs> um, you know, these are the, the things I think about um, a, a lot. And, you know, uh, I'm really fascinated by the social power uh, that uh, the Internet unleashes and that it's, it's uh, you know, my, uh, when I started Star Media, my last company, my insight really was not I'm going to create this company. My insight was that the Internet would represent a historic shift in Latin America as uh, important and transforming as the arrival of the Spaniards and the Portuguese, um, a, a shift that would change reality because it would be the first time that citizens would have access to information and the ability to, in turn, communicate that information to others without the filters of uh, the government and the um, uh, media monopolies and other monopolies that have controlled these countries, in some cases, for centuries. And so, um, fundamentally, I think what the Internet does is that it shifts power to the individual. Um, the great learning of the Internet over the last few years has been that once you give citizens the power to communicate uh, and to foment their own reality in a sense that no longer a reality tied to, uh, you know, uh, what uh, the White House says or, or what La Casa Rosada in Argentina says or, or anybody else, but rather it is the ultimate um, agora, the ultimate Greek square where uh, political decisions are made by the citizens in, in a spirited debate. Uh, so 
you have a different uh, kind of citizen out there. And uh, relative to, to the United States in particular, you know, my idea is that uh, the Internet literally liberates Latinos in this country at many different levels. Uh, the first and foremost level is that uh, the reason we're disempowered as a community in this, in this country is that we, I mean, very simply, we don't have access to power. Um, we, have, uh, we are not powerful uh, politically in this country, and therefore, um, you know, that drives a whole set of, uh, of problems. Uh, I mean, being made the elect election, era, uh, election uh, season uh, piñata, uh, you know, on the immigration issue, you know, would not happen if we had uh, real power uh, in government. We just don't. Um, there is lack of information. Uh, we uh, have very uneven, uneven education levels in this country. We have, you know, my mom, uh, when we immigrated here, she had uh, finished sixth grade. Uh, I've, uh, I was fortunate enough because of her hard work to be able to go to college. Uh, so there's, that's a huge disparity just in my own family of understanding and, and, and education. Um, and lastly, there's cultural uh, lack of power. I mean, we're, we're in some cases isolated in, in a place like Los Angeles where I live. Um, there is such an uh, ongoing influx of early arrivals uh, that, frankly, you know, a lot of those people are very badly treated. They're treated like uh, commodities that can be replaced tomorrow by the next uh, load of, of immigrants who are desperately hungry trying to find work. And so uh, there's a whole set of powerlessness that has been part of the Latino experience in this country, which I believe the Internet is one of the primary mechanisms to overcome. Because fundamentally, going back to this idea of, of connecting people to information without governments and power centers, uh, it's the first time that we can come together without uh, gatekeepers. You know, I think there's a, there's a generational shift uh, among Latino leaders in this country in general. Uh, and it's happening in business, it's happening in, in politics. Uh, the mayor of Los Angeles, uh, who's a young man, um, is, you know, a, a, is a Latino leader in a new mold. He is an inclusive leader. He's a big leader. He has, you know, vision. Uh, and he is not fighting um, the, the struggles of Cesar Chavez. And, you know, we are all standing on those struggles, and that's clear, and we must acknowledge it. Nevertheless, the strategies that are required to move forward are different. Uh, the strategies are about uh, creating uh, uh, consensus and momentum uh, behind uh, policies that are beneficial to our community, but connecting fundamentally with other people. It's no longer about being the outsiders, frankly. We're now on the inside. Now, how do we make it work? Uh, I think that those kinds of shifts are happening. And in the business world, uh, my experience has been uh, that when I speak to some uh, uh, marketing executives of a certain age, they have grown up uh, in a Latin media environment that was very much about Spanish, that was very much about you bought the two television networks and, and that was you know maybe some radio and that was called media planning. Uh, there was a, it was a very simple consumer in a way because it was primarily this early arrival immigrant and that was you know that was the truism at that point. But I believe that um, the American uh, marketing uh, uh, environment is very efficient and that people, although there is inertia and there are relationships that go back 20 years that keep certain patterns happening, I also believe that there is uh, awareness which has now permeated across the marketing 
uh, and business world in the Latin space uh, that uh, there's been a shift in the market. I think when people see what their children are doing, it's very hard to sustain the fiction, which some of the uh, Spanish-language TV companies tried to do for several years, that the third generation now even watches more Spanish-language TV. You know, it wasn't really credible then. Uh, now I think we're at the point where there's been so much independent data uh, generated by the likes of the, the Pew Center and others that clearly there's a, there's a pattern here which has to be addressed. And the other pattern is not just about the language. It's also about the platform. Um, the reality is that when you look at the data of utilization of the Internet, for example, uh, in which Latinos are the heaviest user of the Internet, bar none, of any consumer segment of this country, eventually, um, you know, dollars have to follow consumers. That's how marketing uh, is, is, is spent. And I believe that it will. So, uh, look, you know, when you look at the, the, the what's being invested in online advertising for the Hispanic market today, it's a really small, pitiful amount of money. However, um, uh, it's undeniable that that's where the consumers are. So I think what, what has to happen as well is there has to emerge a whole set of companies, avoid being one of them, but I think other companies as well, who can be vibrant representatives of this opportunity, who can capture an audience that is relevant and has scale. And um, I'm confident that those companies will be able to tap into significant investment levels. Uh, but, you know, it's a process, and you have to build it. Uh, but here, again, the opportunity is for Latinos to take, to take up. I mean, it's very difficult for a mainstream company that has not cultivated Latino management to suddenly wake up one day and say, we're going to serve this customer. Uh, not only don't they have the software for it, software meaning the people to run these things usually, but they also run not just the, the risk of any startup, uh, which is uh, in some cases unaffordable for, for a mainstream company or a big company because you know, it's embarrassing to fail publicly, but there's also the reputational risk of getting ethnic media wrong. Um, you don't want to be the executive at you know um, Mega Media Corp Inc. Uh, uh, somewhere on on you know on Fifth Avenue uh, in New York and be the guy who approved that program that you know whatever uh, for the Latino market that turns people to hate you. I mean, there was a, a great example of what not to do. Um, on television a few years ago, I think it was three or four years ago, NBC put out a uh, what was billed as the first hour, episodic hour, of, uh, uh, of, of American television that had a Latino family as its core. And it was very, you know, cast with some very good Latino actors and, you know, very good-looking people, and they obviously spent a lot of money shooting the show. Uh, the only problem with the show, which was called Kingpin, is that it was a family of drug dealers. So the very first time uh, they put a Latino family in an hour of television on American television ever, um, you know, that's, that's how they decided to depict us. So, uh, you know, not surprisingly, the community was up in arms, and, you know, there was a pathetic article in the Wall Street Journal where the non-Latino creator of the show, um, you know, was completely con confused that we would hate a show like that uh, simply because it was about drug dealers. And thought I was doing something good for the community by hiring Latino actors. I mean, give me a break. You know, that kind of disconnect, uh, I think, is, is, is a reality, and um, that creates opportunities for us uh, to step in, and whether we work at big corporations or we're entrepreneurs and do our own things or, you know, we're artists or whatever that we're doing, 
uh, we have a responsibility for the, the Latin culture here and how it develops in the United States, and not that it should be a hermetically sealed Latin experience, not at all, quite the opposite. Nevertheless, we are the ones who are going to foment that and change, change in this generational change, lead that, that shift. What can the users and what can the drivers, such as yourself, do to ensure that this new alternative, that this new empowerment, this new freedom is there in the future? Well, um, you know, I, I, I think that um, the, the other wonderful element of, of where we are today in, in the media landscape is that the cost of technology has plummeted so that whereas in our last company, Star Media, we had, um, you know, we spent half a billion dollars, a lot of it, building our own technology. Uh, in 2006, most of that technology is now available off the shelf, and the ability for individuals or group of individuals with a com common cause to, to come together, organize themselves uh, uh, at a very low uh, entry point, I mean, without spending a fortune, and be able to broadcast, if you will, a message, that's real. Uh, that's not conceptual or it's going to happen in the future. It's already happened. And so our ability to organize ourselves is just that much easier. And what's, you know, always the hardest part, and especially now, is not the resources, but rather, you know, do we have the willpower, do we have the vision, do we have the desire to do this? Um, from Voy's point of view, you know, we really think that the way we will be a successful company is by uh, being a servant uh, to the community, to really... Uh, try to understand every single day how we could be doing a better job and not see ourselves as uh, a media company per se, but rather the enabler of a community, uh, the, uh, uh, you know, to create the space both uh, physically, technologically, uh, through content and relationships and distribution so that you can have this boy experience um, wherever you want it, whenever you want it, and that that, in turn, can create a different climate. I mean, part of the reason why we're not just a distribution company, we also create content. Uh, I mentioned these movies that we've, we have been involved with, um, is because we see our role as well as, as um, encouraging the development of content that is um, uh, re representative of who we are, uh, that is um, uh, powerful, entertaining, but at the same time that it's uplifting, um, that it, it puts uh, a different light on who we are as Americans who happen to be Latinos. And so, um, you know, we hope as well that um, our, our business model is very iterative. You know, it's very connected to what consumers want or don't want. Content that we put up on VoidTV.com may be successful or not, and that's a function of consumers, not of us. Um, and so, you know, we're very connected to that, and we hope that, uh, uh, you know, that consumers continue to be very communicative to us and, and that we can, uh, uh, you know, evolve over time, uh, hopefully to be better, uh, you know, to better reflect the needs of, of our consumers. What's next? What's the next major trend or trends that you anticipate? Well, you know, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm really bad at uh, looking at the future. You know, I'm not sure what's going to happen in five minutes. Uh, but um, uh, nevertheless, what, what, I, what I can, as I look into the future, and as I said, you know, as you look m much 
farther out than a few minutes, it's, it's always confusing what you're actually seeing, if anything. But um, I really think we're moving towards a, a disaggregated media world, um, a world in which uh, the, the consumer is completely in control, um, business models that are uh, not about surrounding that consumer or connecting with that consumer on the consumer's terms, I think will be challenged. I think that uh, distribution costs, uh, primarily through broadband distribution, but also through wireless, will continue to, to come down. And if they continue to come down, it creates new opportunities for new kinds of services, uh, content delivery types, including different kinds of content. I think uh, relative to the Latino market, um, I believe that this uh, shift into the, the, the promise and the uh, growth of the new generation Latino is probably one of the most significant opportunities and challenges um, in the American uh, business landscape. Um, I think that it's a disruption, and like all good disruptions, there are unintended consequences. Um, uh, companies that don't feel that they're going to be disrupted could be disruptive, vice versa. And um, I think we're also at the dawn of a, a very productive, uh, fast growth era um, and driven by this shift in the Latin marketplace where hopefully thousands of companies will be created to address all sorts of needs that Latinos and others have around Latin ideas. Um, so I'm very optimistic. I, I think that um, what's, you know, one of the things that every day I wake up and I say, wow, this is very different. In 1996 when we started Star Media, uh, we had to explain what the internet was to consumers. Uh, we had to uh, explained that it was a consumer uh, kind of service as opposed to, you know, a luxury good or something for scientists or whatever. Uh, today, with hundreds of millions of Internet users all over the world and the, all the projections pointing to continued growth, um, the challenges are very different. Uh, the challenges are developing concepts, developing services that uh, can meet an unmet need, um, there's a, a challenge of a marketing that is different. It's not about running Super Bowl ads. It's about creating an experience that can then generate positive word of mouth. In short, it's a very exciting moment, and I think, um, you know, Latinos are very good entrepreneurs. Um, we have had in this country a historical disconnect from capital, from risk capital, venture capital. Uh, it's very hard to raise capital if you're Latino in this country still. Um, and so we see a lot of our entrepreneurial energy focused on smaller businesses, which are fine, but they lack the scale, of course, to transform people's lives. Uh, imagine if we were to, um, if with this next generation, with higher levels of education, with lower levels of prejudice, I hope, after this election, imagine um, what this generation is going to be able to achieve uh, because of this interconnectedness connectedness because of the, the shift to digital distribution, because of all these things that we've been talking about, uh, this is an opportunity to unleash uh, our natural entrepreneurial spirit and really be not just great consumers for the American marketplace, but also great producers. And I think we have it in us to do that, and I'm, I'm very optimistic that over the next five and ten years we'll see a, a blooming of entrepreneurial activity. Fernando, as a veteran of these new frontiers and a marketer, 
what advice would you share with our listeners who may be taking baby steps or who may be veterans trying to reach U.S. Latinos in a sensitive and effective manner? What kinds of suggestions, what top three tips would you share with them? Well, you know, um, I, I think fundamentally my advice would always be, first off, is really understand the opportunity that you're going after. Um, and, you know, in my own case, my own creative processes, I always start with an intuition because I'm constantly reading. I'm, I'm, I'm con trying to connect with a lot of information every single day to understand what's going on, and then I try to synthesize that and sometimes um, an intuition uh, of what is happening or what could be an opportunity is there. But then the very next step is um, the embarking on a, a very uh, focused, and um, uh, elaborate uh, vetting process where you look at um, a lot of hard data in the marketplace to vet your, your intuition. Now, there's sometimes when you uh, will see something before the data is there. Um, uh, there are times when you can be two or three steps ahead, and then that's where courage comes in. That's where you know, your own self-confidence comes in, what can you risk and what you cannot. Uh, in my own experience, um, you know, uh, as I said, I started my last company with a credit card, so uh, you know, I was willing to risk a lot uh, for that company to be successful. It turned out to be right. I've been wrong before, so you know, that's life, and that's the life of an entrepreneur. Uh, I find it exciting. Some people, you know, it's not for them, but um, that's the you know the fundamental issue is uh, you know look for the information for the, in the and then vet the intuition as, as much as possible. The second thing is. Um, uh, resources. Um, uh, it's critical, I mean, it's a pretty obvious thing to say, but uh, it's critical to have some sort of idea of uh, how much are you willing to risk. Um, you know, you must know exactly, you know, how far you can take something and see if you have uh, the capability to pull it off. Uh, you may be better off doing something smaller. Uh, in my own um, uh, uh, case, you know, I, I because I've done this before, uh, I go for scale, and, you know, sometimes it works really well, sometimes it doesn't. So this is also a fundamental issue. Um, you know, it's really getting into the psychology of being an entrepreneur. Uh, you're part explorer, part pioneer, uh, part madman, uh, but, it, you know, if there is a passion that drives you, something that you think the world needs, that you need to bring it to the world, um, you know, you have to have that conversation with yourself in terms of what it actually means to get that done. Uh, the last point, which segues from that, is that uh, people often underestimate the amount of uh, determination that it takes to uh, do a startup, for example. And, you know, I think people romance themselves uh, at two levels. One is you know, wouldn't it be great to be my own boss and, you know, all the limitations that are artificially put on me by, you know, XYZ Corp or whatever I do uh, today will go away. Um, you know, that's very exciting. There's also, of course, depending on the industry, the potential for some outsized um, uh, economic reward if the business does particularly well. Those things are true. However, uh, what I, I have found um, in my own experience starting up companies where, unfortunately, uh, you have to cycle through teams of people uh, in your startup process uh, because not everyone can really adapt. Uh, people who fall in love with the idea of being in a startup then don't 
you know, can't really adjust to it. Um, uh, and, you know, and you, especially if you're the founder or the CEO, you have a responsibility to have the company be successful. And so, unfortunately, um, you know, I've had to do this, and every entrepreneur, successful entrepreneur has had to do this, which is you, start, you have to, unfortunately, ask people to leave and bring in new people and, and, and all that. The point here is that um, the level of determination, um, the level of uh, commitment to that idea, um, the, the lack of a plan B, <laughs> in other words, you are determined to make this work and you will uh, stick it out um, and you will have pain and you will suffer. Uh, you know, I'm giving you the worst case scenario, but <laughs> it does happen. It happens more often than people think. Um, those, those are things that you are willing to do and sacrifice in order to be successful. Because if you're not, if you can't answer that simple test uh, in the affirmative before you start, don't start your own company uh, because it, the chances of your success will be dramatically lower unless you're just extremely lucky. And, you, you know, lucky is important, but you can't plan for it. So, um, you know, you, your own determination, um, your uh, uh, relentless uh, desire to win and to achieve your goals, those carry you a lot farther than most people think. And uh, usually, in my experience, and as, as a historian reading history um, uh, every single day, uh, what I found is that great men and great women across history achieve greatness, whatever that means to them, usually um, uh, through determination, always with a little bit of luck, but determination is the single um, biggest uh, factor in success across history from my reading of history, and I think is very much the case in a startup situation. Thank you, Fernando, for joining us today. Thank you, Elena. My pleasure. And to our audience, thank you for listening to Fernando Espuelas, founder and CEO of VOI, brought to you by Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com, providing you essential information on America's largest minority. Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the HispanicMPR.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at hispanicmpr.com. That's editor at hispanicmpr.com. For more information on how to reach Hispanics with marketing and public relations tools, visit our resources section at www.hispanicmpr.com. That's www.hispanicmpr.com.